Hello everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm Louise. Your coach is on the couch. And we're really pleased today to be joined by Nick Searle, who as of last week is managing partner of Argent. And Nick, we're feeling really honoured that you've come and joined us on the virtual couch. Thanks so much for, for coming in. How are you? I am very well and, and it's an honour to be doing this. You and I go back a long way, Rachel. So um, it's a privilege to be asked to come and do this. Cool. Well, thank you. Huge news as that promotion obviously is, we'd like to start off by talking about your couch. So please could you tell us, please could you tell us something brief and interesting about your couch? So rather than tell you about my couch per se, I'll tell you where my couch was or is. Um, uh, the couch that um, uh, I enjoy is the couch that's in the reception of the gas holders building. Ah, nice. My favourite building at King's Cross. We've got some nice couches just in there and so uh, when you said could I could you could you have a picture that was that was the one we chose I did I just I just love that building uh, uh, I love the, the the work that Wilkinson Air did on it and all the interior work that went on afterwards so yeah that's the story of my couch really it's not really a story of a couch it's a story of a couch in a building no, it's fantastic thank you it gives us a sense of, of place and I'm sure you'll already be known to many of our listeners, but let's just do a little quick formal introduction. As Rach said, uh, as of last week, your joint managing partner of Argent, which has delivered some of the UK's best known mixed use places, including the Piccadilly area in Manchester, Brindley Place in Birmingham, and of course, King's Cross in London. And in 2015, Argent formed a joint venture with US developer related to focus on build to rent opportunities in the UK. And Nick, you joined Argent in 2007 and having spent almost 10 years working on King's Cross, you're now leading Argent Related's 10 million square foot Brent Cross South development in North London. And before joining Argent, you worked with Chelsfield and European Land in Paddington Basin and spent time working on major developments in the Far East. And once upon a time, we were both employed by the same project management company. We also know you're obviously a very keen cyclist. And I don't think we're going to get away without talking about cycling at some stage in this conversation. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to have to update you a bit because I'm back to my running um, day. Well, not so. yet. Ah, okay. <laughs> so there's some huge chunks of, of the capital mentioned in, in what Rachel has just said. And um, you've led some major teams. And last year, um, I was lucky enough to meet uh, three very impressive women who were behind or part of the team behind Cold Drops Yard. Uh, and I wrote an article for New London Quarterly about Tamsin Green of Heatherwick, um, Warwenna Hall and Anna Strongman, your former colleague at, at Argent. And one of the things that really came across to me uh, when I met them was the, um, the resilience that that team had uh, and the amount of time and energy and commitment that have been put into making sure that the team worked and functioned as a team because they had to go through, they had a major setback in planning, at least one, and several periods of maternity leave. <laughs> I think Anna had twins in the course of the project. So although uh, I'm not sure that this was your project specifically, I thought it would be really helpful to start the discussion today around teams and how one builds those, those teams that function, have to function so well on these very large mixed-use projects that last for years and years and years. Yeah, it's, it, it is one of the the big challenge is, is the time scale over which these things happen um, and just just on that on that subject what is so important for both teams and individuals when you're on these big projects is to 
break it down into bite-sized chunks so you can actually celebrate success as you go along because otherwise it kind of becomes a little bit turgid and a bit too long-winded. Um, so that, that's, really, that's really important. I mean, I, I have a fundamental belief that, you know, good teams only come about when there is a good leader in amongst them. Um, and, you know, there's masses of research that goes on uh, to demonstrate that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the fundamentals of, of motivation and inspiration uh, from a leader are the most important aspects of it. Yes, it's clearly important that, you know, somebody's got to sit down and, and set, set out all the key objectives. Somebody's got to sort of sit down and make sure the paperwork all flows in the right directions. But fundamentally, somebody's got to gather people around a particular ambition or vision and be prepared to lead the way towards that. And talking of that, you know, that resilience, well, I think it was very much a combination of, of, of those three um, people on the cold drops who, in the face, as you say, of quite extraordinary adversity. I mean, apart from the fact that we had just taken what was already a very complicated building. Um, and I don't think Thomas would mind me saying that by employing Thomas, we made it even more complicated. Um, it was, it was an, an incredible challenge, an incredible feat on every single level. And it took, it, it, what it took from, the, from, from those people was um, an absolute commitment to the vision that we had created, to seeing that through and ensuring that it was delivered absolutely fully and was not watered down or diluted through the process, which could easily have happened. Uh, yeah, I thought that the, the word vision would um, would definitely come into play there. And, and, and I guess, does that help, do you think? Or how do you also create that sort of trust and a space where people can be courageous and confident in bringing forward ideas and discussing ideas openly? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, there's always balance in these things, but I, I'd like to think that across the whole of our business, we, we are curious and we like to foster curiosity in our teams and in our people. Um, and when you, when you invite people to be curious, you also invite them in some ways to be allowed to fail because curiosity means exploring sometimes exploring things that end up not being achievable, but by going through the process and through the in inverted commas failure, you've, you've learned uh, a lot. So we, we try to foster a, an environment where people can bring forward ideas, they can explore ideas. Um, and the reason I say that there's balance in that is that uh, there, is, there is a time and a place for the curiosity and there's a time and a place for, we've now, we are now focused We've done, we've explored the curious moment. We're now very focused on a very specific end game that we've defined. And at that point, everybody has to pull their weight together, just like any team that's in a particularly high performing, stressful moment. Everybody's got to be rowing in the same direction. You know, we can use as many sporting metaphors as you like, but um, I think everybody gets that picture. You have to have everybody on the bus and doing the right right time um, because otherwise you just don't get to the, to the end and it really important that in teams is actually if there is somebody in that team who is not 
not committed, who is not pulling their weight, they can't stay on the team because otherwise the team doesn't work. So there's really, really good sides to teamwork, um, which is all about that unity. But actually, when, when, if that unity is impacted by something or someone, you have to resolve it very quickly or the team breaks down. It's toxic. Mm, that's really interesting. So that sort of concept of followership, people talk a lot about leadership, but I think followership is almost as important to know when to say no, there's a decision. Now we have to jump on board and go with it. It, 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 uh, it absolutely is. I, you know, we, you can debate for a long time. I mean, there's, I read quite a lot of books by Simon Sinek and, um, oh, yeah. you know, he has a, a great quote, um, a good leader only needs one thing, followers. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, you know in, in that sense, he's defining the fact that as a leader, you have to be able to take all your people with you. And mm. there are moments where you actually have to be quite directive and you have to, the, the time for talking is over. This yeah. is what we're doing. Everybody yeah. start pedaling. Let's go. Yeah, and and you know, at Argent, we're constantly in in both situations. We're, we're in, on one project, we'll be in the, the the early phase, and on another project, we're on pure delivery, and and we've just we're we're all just focused on on that end game. Mm. Just want to go back, Nick, to a word that you used a couple of paragraphs ago, which was inspiration. Yeah, which is a amazing word that people use all the time and nobody ever really sort of breaks down. We, Louise and I end up coaching lots of people on the generally less experienced leaders on how they might inspire their teams. I'm just wondering what tips you might give them. So, so for me, um, one of the most important uh, aspects of leadership and one of the most important um, characteristics of a good leader is actually optimism. And it's optimism which leads to inspiration. I think it's just a fundamental truth in life that none of us are inspired by a pessimistic view of life. Even when things look really, really difficult, you've got to have a kind of realistic view of how and why it is still possible to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Optimism in a room, particularly when you're in our world where quite often we have a lot of people in the team who, are, um, who come from quite, uh, how can I put this, organized engineering kind of backgrounds. Mm. Kind of want to see a path for how you are going to navigate from A to B to C to D. Sometimes, particularly in a difficult environment like the one we're in right now, as a for instance, trying to map the exact route is very, very difficult and in, in precise terms. And so uh, I'll, I'll keep using the word a realistic optimism that demonstrates or it doesn't demonstrate, but at least shows that there is belief in the leadership that you can get to, if the steps are A to, to E, we can get to E, even though mm. we know how B C, D, uh, B, C and D are going to work, mm. is inspiring to people and, and people will follow that. It was, I'll, I'll tell you a little story of, of somebody that 
is in our team, going to remain utterly nameless. Brilliant person in, in the team. And I said to them, if I asked you to set a target for yourself, you didn't know how you were going to get there, would you feel comfortable with that? And they said, absolutely not. <laughs> I need to, to no, I, can't, I can't do that. I said, so if I set you a target, which is the same target, but you don't know how you're going to get there, are you happy with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. So what's the difference? And the difference was somebody else has set the bar and somebody has, else has set them the intellectual challenge of figuring out how to get to that place. It's very, very difficult for some of the minds, particularly that are quite prevalent in our industry, to naturally do that themselves. So mm -hmm. that optimism and that inspiration to set the bar to a place where people wouldn't naturally set it for themselves is actually critical. Mm -hmm. We will we'll live in a world where everything is hindered or, or constrained by what it is we absolutely know we can do. And I'm sorry, the world never changed by setting out to do something that you already know how to do. It's quite a leap of confidence that people have to take, isn't it, to be able to set. You know, it's a really interesting concept in management and leadership to get people to set their own targets, because that's also asking them to take full ownership for the route towards meeting them and to meeting them and to setting them. And it's a it's a much bigger responsibility than actually some people are prepared to take. They're quite happy for to be set a target, set a task. Yeah, I mean, like I say, people people will do so much more if somebody else sets the bar for them. Mm. Look, because people are generally, I mean, this is throughout our, all our, our lives, you know, and, and sports people learn this all the time. They have no idea what they're capable of until they are mm. pushed beyond what they thought they were capable of. And of course, that's mm. where our profession, business coaching comes from is from sports coaching yeah. and just coincidentally and I don't often do this I did come across an article today about Jurgen Klopp who of course everybody is talking about in terms of leadership at mm. Liverpool and it described the interviewer said he radiates positivity and, yeah. and you said you wanted to talk optimism and I thought that links very well with that that is that mm. sort of positive attitude Absolutely. that Klopp manages he's to always have. got a smile on his face you know he's one of those people I mean I've never met Jurgen Klopp but I can imagine gives the guys, you know, a pretty hard time after they've just played not so well and lost or something, which doesn't happen very often, but has done recently. But somehow he still has, seems to have a smile on his face. Um, and, he's, and he's still radiating positivity. And I bet every time he has that discussion, people don't walk out of the room thinking, oh my God, we're terrible. They walk out of the room thinking, my God, we're so much better than we, you know, better than that. We're going to be better. We're going to, mm -hmm. and they just, builds people up to be great yeah um yeah. and that, that's what i mean by it i, I mean you, there's different words I've, you know i've used optimism but yeah positivity is is a is another way of describing it it's really interesting i've just been scrabbling around on my desk because as you were speaking it was reminding me of a quote that i'd read in the which i've now found so i'll just tell you what it was because it's it's within a piece of research from a guy called justin menkes or menks i don't know sorry justin um, and it talks about key personality traits of CEOs, and it's got three of them. And the first one is, you may well have read this book, Nick, because you've used the same word, realistic optimism. And it says, <laughs> it says the capacity to have the confidence to pursue audacious goals without self-delusion 
and in full awareness of the magnitude of the challenges. That's courage. My, uh, one of my fellow partners loves to use the term reach for the stars and keep your feet on the ground. Right, yeah. That for me, that's, that's a beautiful image that you have in your... Yeah, exactly. What were the other two, Rachel? The other two were subservience to purpose. Yeah. So much so that their goal is their master and their reason for being. And the third one was finding order in chaos, the ability to find multi-dimensional problem solving invigorating. Uh, I, I, I haven't read this book, but I, um, I completely agree with those three things. It, it describes a lot of what our business is all about, and I'm sure what a lot, a lot of other people, I mean, I, I like to think that, you know, as developers, we're, we're actually a creative business. And you, 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 as with any, and, and, and as is, you know, Apple, as is, yeah. you know, so many others there. And what you actually have is, you know, you have to imagine, you have to envision, and then you have to come up with um, extraordinary technical solutions and management solutions for how you're actually going to deliver on that. And what we're doing, you know, at Brent Cross South at the moment is kind of, you know, I mean, I'm loving it and it's amazing because we're, we're trying to conceive a new town. And in some ways it's like, you know, Apple trying to conceive a new product or something like that. You know, you just like, how do you bring all these bits together? There's so many different people going to perceive this in so many different ways and use it in so many different ways. And the reality is once we've delivered it, we'll have no control over how it's used because, you know, that was the lesson of King's Cross. You know, you build it, you, you talk about, you know, master plans, all that, and then one day you open it and these people come in and they take over and they don't even know you exist and they don't do any of the things that you planned for them to do. It's terrible. You can't control the universe and people just get on and do stuff. And, and it is amazing. It is amazing to, to have those kinds of opportunities. So bringing together that envisioning and that creativity and then the order that is required to deliver on it is, that's the massive challenge. How do you think you develop because um, we're not born being pessimists or optimists are we so how how does one develop an optimistic mindset in oneself and in others do you think it's quite philosophical it just came to me <laughs> well i mean i I'm, I'm not a psychologist uh, so i don't know if it's true whether people are born or not born as as pessimists or optimists but i do know that throughout my life it's been quite easy to divide people between those two um, and we all know when we're in the presence of somebody who's particularly pessimistic about the world. Um, and we also know when we're in the presence of somebody who just has absolute belief because there's an energy that just radiates off people like that. Um, and it can become, it can get too much, um, frankly. You know, we only have to look at the leadership of the, um, the United States of America and, and one could argue that that's an optimist. But is that taking optimism to a whole nother level where it, you know, it, it, it takes on a slightly sinister tone. Yeah. In mm. terms of its delusional optimism as opposed right. to realistic. Well, yeah. that, that's, as opposed to realistic optimism. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, I think that's when it goes, when it, when it goes too far. But I, I think there are, you know, there's a, a lot of people in the middle who kind of like, you know, almost, I mean, to, to some degree, we all change from one day to the next to, to some degree. because Some days we feel very optimistic about the world and other days we don't. So I, you know, I, I, I it's an intro, really interesting question. Can you develop and coach optimism? Well, I think we would both say that you can, 
Yeah, I think the neuroscience would suggest it's a bit like the phrase, what gets measure, measured gets noticed. So we get into sort of habits about what we notice about the world around us. And then we can change those patterns in the brain so that we notice different, more positive things. Who's that guy, Louise? Martin Seligman wrote a book, which I think is actually called Learned Optimism. So yeah, so maybe we put something in the notes about that. But um, it first needs the self-awareness that of somebody recognising that actually not being optimistic is not adding to their life in a positive way. So, you know, how would you feel about this if that terrible thing that you keep thinking is going to happen, you knew it wasn't going to happen? You know, how would you behave if that wasn't the case and, and taking the conversation that way? So there are things that you could do. But in terms of going back to placemaking a little bit there in, in terms of looking at I mean I don't know Brent Cross I'm afraid I'm a south of the river sort of a person but King's Cross is about as far as I get north in London um, but to look at that it wasn't exactly the most lubrous area of town was it to look at that vast space and be optimistic or King's Cross or, or well King's Cross maybe or Brent Cross because Brent Cross is three times the size but be able to create that sense of optimism when looking at, at land and building and communities that have suffered deprivation and and degradation of place generally how does one kind of build that optimism amongst the people who are working on projects in places like that well, well i can only tell you how how from, from how i do it i can only tell you what i try to do um and the you know, I, 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 so, so here's the situation. I, I'm, I'm South London as well. I come from, I lived in South London all through my years in London. I live South of London and the rest of it. So I didn't know Brain Cross very well either three, four years ago. I spent quite a bit of time getting under the skin of the nature of the projects and all the rest of it. And over the last three or four years, I have worked with a team of people who feel very passionately about the principles that we're trying to apply. We have literally you know, written down principles for urban development at Brent Cross and what's important to us. So back to the earlier point about living purpose, that's absolutely critical because if our sole purpose is to design a building, yeah, but why are you designing the building? I mean, it's right, you've got, to, you've got to pull the purpose right back to human purpose really it's, it's you've got to get it back to something that's actually meaningful to individual people um so we, we've done that and i think by going through that process over a number of years I, all i can say is i gave a, a presentation last week to a group of uh people uh, about brent cross and i had to do it on a screen like like we're doing now and i realized that there was not one ounce of marketing speak in anything I said. I absolutely believed everything I said was true. And I think when you have gone through a process like that uh, and you, you've immersed yourself in it and you do believe in it, then your passion for it and your authenticity in your, your view of, of that will just come through. And I think I, I say that you know, this is some people are quite lazy with these things and people will see through the veneer of and, and the pretense of trying to describe something often with property developer language, marketing type language, 
it, it is seen through very, very quickly. Uh, and whether or not you really believe in what you're saying is seen through very, very quickly. So for me, the way that I try to inspire is by immersing myself to the point where I really, really believe in this. and I'm authentic in, 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 and passionate when I talk about it. And that, that for me is always, it always seems to have got the energy of the people around me. It's, it's, it's created energy in the people around me. And without that energy, without that collective energy, we can't do anything. It doesn't matter, you know, otherwise we're, we're just going to be pedestrian. It doesn't matter how hard we try, how clever we are. You have to have that energy. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's for me, that's how it works. I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be somebody who can just deliver, deliver a marketing presentation without actually believing it. I, it. It comes back to all the things you said earlier, purpose, it's belief. It's optimism. You wrap it all up and you become passionate and authentic and all of those words squish them all together. People kind of go, I want some of that. I want to be involved in that. That sounds fantastic. You know, I, it, it, and uh, that's, yeah, that's how I do it really. And that's how we do it. It's not, it's not just me. It's, it's we've got a lot of people in the business who, who believe, I mean, Roger Madeline was, who I, you know, it was probably the reason I joined Argent in the first place. You know, he was such an inspiring figure and he, he, was, he was hugely motivational. Sometimes the realism kind of went out the door, <laughs> but actually it was good fun as when it did. We kind of just leapt off the edge of cliffs to see what happened. Um, and that's exciting. And, you know, you will walk over hot coals for people like that because you know that they're trying to do something great. And if you, want to, if you want to spend your life doing something great, you want to be with people like that. It's not much more complicated, really. Right. Amazing, thank you, Nick. I'm just thinking, because we're coming towards the end of our time with you today, I'm just wondering if there's a few thoughts that you'd have on the future. Um, <laughs> well, optimism more than ever right now that's for sure I like a big question and i thought that might come up <laughs> um look i i we're in an awful situation and many many people have suffered horribly and unfortunately that it's that's not over and you know we all know somebody or people that have that are struggling in one way or another and unfortunately it's not just the pandemic itself that's going to cause the pain there is going to be pain as a consequence economic pain social pain um but you know for me personally this is now the fourth major crisis that i've lived through in my life and every single one has been painful and difficult some more personally painful and difficult than others but in every single one um i've seen those people who are of that positive optimistic outlook creating and finding opportunities in the midst of all, all the challenges um, i've seen new businesses born i've seen people realize that actually that wasn't the career for me why was i doing it i'm going to do that one instead so in, in amongst all those difficult things there are really good things that happen that happen i think there is also seminal a properly seminal I, mean, I know we we say that maybe too much you know 
in the way that you know the war was a seminal moment for society in this country and the things that were born out of it afterwards um, i'm not suggesting that we are in in a, in a war in the same way at all but we are in a crisis that i think is going to have some very very far-reaching impacts on the way that we live and work and particularly and, and I'm, I'm talking about that because of the relationship because because we're in the property industry and the relationship between those two things is going to be very very defining for how we go about our business over the next 10 20 years and i and i think technology is you know is going to play a role that none of it beyond even what was imagined and i and i think we, we, with the application of technologies we're already talking about in our business how we can apply the technologies that people have started to use more regularly to 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 actually cut across our projects cut across any silos that might develop over time how can we bring people together more without just creating another layer of meetings and god knows what so so technology is going to be so important in that process and, and that's going to play out through all streams of society so i am very optimistic i think we're going to have another potentially year or two of real real challenge but you know looks like everything else humans are incredibly versatile and adaptable and we will work our way work a way around this and through it and we'll come out with a whole load of new ideas and, and a whole load of new ways of doing things um, and on that level it will be very very exciting and in no way by saying that do i want to diminish just how difficult it is for so many people because is and I, I absolutely recognize we have to search for the good to try and make bring something positive out of it it's, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's easy it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting Indeed. few years for the world one of the other things it wasn't the whole world there is you know i'm talking to people in australia i'm talking to people in the us on a regular basis it's the first time ever you know i was in asia during the asian crisis and of course, it wasn't happening in Europe at the time, you know. So they tended to be quite geographical, even you know, quite large geographies. But it's being geographical. This is the whole world. Yeah. No, I impacted, and you know, when was the last time that happened? That's right. That's right. Thank you very much, Nick. That was a really interesting conversation. I am highly optimistic. And go forth and radiate positivity, please. Yeah, do. That's what we're going to do, <laughs> all of us. That's the message. Thank you, uh, Nick. Let's get fired up. Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. It's lovely talking to you, as always. It's lovely to see yeah, you both. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Take care.